Well, I'm not Molly. I am Molly with a cold, you could say. You <laughs> <laughs> have to be a really intense cold. Uh, I'm actually Molly's baby daddy. Um, 100 episodes was too much for her. We cut her off after 99. No, Molly's here. It's the 100th episode extravaganza bonanza ooh bonanza um whichever those what a bonanza words you want to go with yep so here we are recapping 99 episodes of the business with purpose podcast first of all what are we doing exactly today why am i here <laughs> and um just talk us through what you wanted to do for your 100th episode but my guest Molly Stillman uh, of stillbeingmolly.com and the Business with Purpose podcast. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> You're welcome. It's truly a pleasure. So why are we doing this? What are we doing? <laughs> well, I, I have had no coaching. You just well, told me, hey, you're on the 100th show with me. <laughs> Let's do this. Well, I wanted you to host it because you are my executive producer. That is true. In in business and in life. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it would just be fun for you and I to do bits and really go back to our roots of being on the radio together. Because yeah. think about, I mean, well, we'll get into this later when we answer questions about how we met. But, I mean, we really are getting back to our roots at talking on microphones together for people to to hear us. Seems like a long time ago, it does. but we did do this a lot. In fact, there was a time where I said, uh, would you like to be my wife? And you sat there in stunned silence before you realized I was talking about a commercial script that we were going to read. Correct. You were playing my wife in the commercial. Correct. And for the people listening who would have no idea how we met, we did meet by working at a radio station, but we'll get more into that later in the show. But I just thought it would be fun for people to really hear the man behind the podcast and all of the technical stuff and you're just funny and I love you and it gives me an excuse to sit here and stare at you for 45 to 50 minutes. So basically we're going to have no business and no purpose <laughs> in this no, 100th episode. There is an outline. See, you can hear the okay. rustling of this paper. This is There is an outline. There is a plan. <laughs> Very good. Uh, do you want to start with your top 10 episodes and we'll save questions for us for later or what's the what's the roadmap? Well, I, I probably should not let the guest dictate how this goes, but well, there was an outline and that comes later in the show. <laughs> so, I mean, first, I wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about why I started the show, because I get that question a lot on social media. Mm -hmm. And I realize this isn't really something that I've talked a lot about in episodes because it's so interview based and my episodes are focused more on the guest. So I'd always wanted to do a podcast, as you know. And actually, I remember when I really came up with the idea, we were in your truck coming back from Yanceyville picking up our cow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we this was a cow that had already been cut into pieces. We were <laughs> bringing an actual cow home in the back of my truck. Correct. Yeah. We live in it. We have an HOA that would probably be frowned upon. But we had purchased a cow that was flash frozen. I'm really sorry for the vegans, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we were in the car back coming back from Yanceyville. So it's like a 50 minute ish drive. And I remember being like, OK, 50 minutes, we're coming up with a name for the show, like we're going to make this happen, I'm no longer going to putz around. And so I knew that I wanted it to be an extension of the blog where I talk a lot about companies that do are doing good in the world because it's something I am passionate about. And so that was sort of the original in, inspiration was like to highlight ethical fashion and brands and beauty brands and things like that. But it really more evolved once I realized that the listeners really wanted to hear from all types of business owners that are doing something good 
in the world in some way, shape, or form. So, and here we are at 100 episodes, which when I started it in 2016, I never thought I would make it to 100 episodes. So it's pretty cool to think back that we've had 99 different business owners on the show. Point of order. Yes. Does the special holiday episode that you did with Emily count as one of the 99? It does not. So technically, so this is really the this 101st. is really 101st episode. So yeah. I feel like a sham. <laughs> so she's been really the only repeat guest. Yeah. So you have had 99 guests. Yeah, I have had 99 Impressively guests. Impressively enough. So. Uh, In a way, I'm a little offended that it took... A <laughs> hundred episodes for me to be on here. I know. Well, I do there need was to do an episode. Ninety-nine people that you would rather talk to than me. <laughs> oh, the overwhelming! No, ninety-nine. There's a ninety-nine joke in there. Okay. Anyway, uh, most of you are again probably like I have no idea what reference you just made. Okay. So, um, one of the most requested things when I was planning this hundredth episode was what kinds of things I asked the listeners. What kinds of things would you like to see on? the show and overwhelmingly people wanted to ask us questions so we've got three segments of questions questions just for john questions for me and then questions for the both of us to answer that will be at the end my questions will come in the middle and then we're going to kick it off by first i get to ask you some questions all right let's have it all right so my first question this question comes from marissa flax she says, where do you find all of the hysterical sound effects for the rapid question portion? It seems like Will Ferrell is a favorite. That's <laughs> well, probably guilty as charged. Um, usually I just take some nugget of something that somebody said at some point during the conversation, which reminds me tangentially of something <laughs> from a movie or a Seinfeld episode or something like that. And then I just go pull that. Pull that clip. It would be a callback. It's what you would call it in the, the comedy business, I yes, believe. Yes. Uh, a callback to something earlier in the show. Yeah. So. yeah. But they're always fun because I truly do not know what he's going to pick each week. And there are some weeks where he'll pick something. I'm like, really? That's what you picked? Well, so there was one week, and this is the, the one where I was disappointed that you wouldn't allow me to use it. <laughs> so I don't remember the name of the company. Uh, but it was something like She Bang or something like it that. It was Bang Shoes. Bang Shoes. That's it. And so I wanted to use the William Hung <laughs> She Bangs <laughs> clip in <laughs> as the, the sound effect in that one. But I guess this was an Asian-based yeah, business or Chinese something. Yeah, they're Chinese-based business. Yeah. And so you were afraid that if I put in William Hung, you were going <laughs> to think I was making fun of the fact that they're based in China <laughs> and that it wasn't going to be about the, the Bangs reference. So you did allow me to use She Bangs, but I had to use the Ricky Martin version, yeah. which, all right, full disclosure, <laughs> I couldn't have told you that was a Ricky Martin song. <laughs> I, I figured it was probably a song before William Hung did it, but I really, Original. I wouldn't have thought it was somebody as well known as Ricky Martin, <laughs> sadly. Uh, so I was disappointed I didn't get to use that one, but usually I don't ask your permission. I just do it. Yeah, but that's true. I figured I might be towing the line for that one. So I should have probably just done it and not asked permission, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, so Bethany Tran, founder of The Root Collective. And asked, your, your first ever guest? And No, she was episode three, I believe. Oh, okay. Episode three. Um, John, do you ever feel intimidated by being, mar by being married to someone who's good at everything? Be honest. Seems to be confusion. I think this was probably a question for you. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's you, true. Do you feel intimidated by Um intimidated by somebody who's good at everything well uh, there are some things <laughs> that i'm that not I good at point out 
um, like math. Math, not good um, at math. A little bit of a struggle sometimes. A lot of bit of a struggle. When you're in there staring at the uh, the chart on the wall in the kitchen trying to figure out cups and pints <laughs> and if you want to cut a recipe in half. All right, so this, this recipe calls for, for two cups. But I only want to do a half recipe, so how many cups should I use? Okay, I don't ask that question. It's going to be one cup. It's going to be how much. Um, So there's enough things um, that chip away at your deity just enough (laughs) that I'm able to live life not completely intimidated and subservient to you. (laughs) Well, point of clarification, I am not good at everything. Bethany is just being hilarious, but... Uh, that was but you are question. good at most things. <laughs> no. I'm moderate to mediocre to above average at a lot of things. Well, so <laughs> you're you're a good writer. You're funny. You're hot. Um, <laughs> I like that you're good in all situations. You're very much a chameleon in that it doesn't really matter what situation I plop you into. You're going to do just fine, whether you're with my family or my friends or my clients, whatever it is. Whatever scenario you end up in, you're able to adapt to the situation very well. You're, you're good at that. I can do that. I am good at that. Yeah. I know that. And that probably comes a lot from improv training. Yeah. <laughs> like being literally, I'm, I'm forced to yes and mm-hmm. pretty much everything. Uh, all right. So this is an Instagram question. Um, not a question about Instagram. This one came <laughs> from. going to say. Yeah. The other. Might be a struggle. Yeah. The other night we were sitting on the porch and John's like, I don't understand Instagram stories. How do these things work? Where do you see the comments? So I was like, yeah, no. It's... Well, you were. I'm always just. You're always showing me things that people have posted on Instagram stories and I don't understand yeah. how it works. How it works. Whatever. Um, so I right. just depend on you to basically be the filter and show me anything I might care about. It's true. Um, all right. At Olga plus four asked, what is your number one? T- this is asked because my husband is a financial advisor in addition to a media mogul. Uh, <laughs> what is your number one tip for, for someone's just starting a budget or getting out of debt and sticking to it? Well, I think you pretty much answered your own question there. The key is get a budget, start a budget, <laughs> and then stick to it. It's not a lot more complicated than that. Now, obviously, for a lot of people, it is more complicated because it's just it's not something you're used to and comfortable with. The thing that I tell most people to be conscious of when you're talking about starting a budget is for some people, it, it sounds really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It sounds like you're handcuffing yourself by Mm -hmm. giving yourself a budget. And you say, well, I don't want to have to live by a budget. I want to be free to do whatever I want. When the reality is, the budget is what gives you freedom. Mm -hmm. It's putting you in control of your own money instead of the money controlling you. And so usually what we see is that when people start using a budget, it's not that they're saying, oh, well, I really wanted to spend $300 on Starbucks this month, but the budget only dictates I can spend $200. No, what happens is... More than anything, you start seeing where your money's going. And then you get to make the decisions about what happens with that money moving forward. So you might say, all right, well, I'm going to budget $100 for Starbucks. And then you see in month number one, you spent $257 on Starbucks. And then you say, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was spending that much on coffee. Right. Well, now if that feels like too much to you, you're in charge. You get to make the decisions if you want to cut something else to spend your $257 on Starbucks. You can, but if you say, look, that's too much. I need to cut this out of my life a little bit. You're in control. You get to do that. So the budget, more than anything, illuminates. It shows you where your money's going and puts you in better control of it. 
Yeah. So that's the thing you have to understand. The hurdle for a lot of people to getting started is that it's not limiting you. It's allowing you to be in control. As far as sticking to it, you know, I think it needs to be, you need to find some kind of program that makes it easy for you to work. Uh, you know, the way we did it for years, I would not expect any people other than me to stick with it that way. I mean, we saved every receipt, entered it all into a spreadsheet, yeah. uh, just because I wanted to have the complete flexibility of doing it my own way in my own spreadsheet. But uh, we don't even do that anymore, just because keeping up with receipts and you buy so much stuff online, that there's not necessarily a receipt for, it made it hard to track everything. So we use Dave Ramsey's Every Dollar Budget now. Yeah, we started that, like, I guess, a couple se- months ago. Several months ago. You pay like $10 a month to connect it to your bank account. And then all your transactions just pop up. Anything on credit card, debit card, checking account draft, it all just pops up. You create your budget with all your different categories. And then all your transactions show up for you. You just drag it into whatever category it goes into. You don't have to worry about keeping up with everything, keeping up with receipts. Did I miss anything? It's all there. Yeah. You just put it into the right category. So it doesn't have to be that one. You can use Mint. Or yeah. some other app that does the same thing for you. But, you know, if it's not something that comes naturally to you, you need to let technology kind of help you out. Yeah. And I have a blog post from like five years ago where I actually shared our budgeting spreadsheet. And I still to this day probably get six or seven emails. I mean, it's a five-year-old post. And I probably get six or seven emails a week from people asking for that spreadsheet. So if you want it, you can email me and I will send you a blank spreadsheet that has all the formatting. And this is the system we used really from when we started dating when I was still in debt. And John helped me get out of debt. And really using that spreadsheet is what got me kind of in that habit. And now it's just a habit. So One other thing I'll mention as far as sticking to it is understanding that it's not going to be perfect in the first month or two. Yeah. So a lot of people really under budget on food yeah. is where we see a lot of mistakes being made. So you might budget $400 for groceries and then you spend $850 on groceries and you just throw your hands up and you say, well... This budgeting thing isn't going to work. Well, no, you just have to understand that if you haven't done it before, you're not going to have all your categories right the first time. It's probably going to take a few months, and you're going to have to communicate with your spouse if you're married, and you're going to have to figure things out. But that's okay. That's healthy. That's good for the relationship to actually talk about these things. Right. And so, you know, it might take you three or four months to kind of have your categories right going into the month. And if you'll stick with it long enough, you'll start to get get into a rhythm. So, yeah. Part of sticking with it is just you just have to do it for a few months until you figure it out. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And I think that's really helpful for a lot of people because it's still one of the most common questions I get from readers and listeners all the time. All the time. Um, all right. Next question. At Michelle Ann 72 asked, if you had to describe Molly in one word, what would it be and why? Can I use a uh, hyphenated word? It's really two words, but if we hyphenate it, can we call it one word? It's up to you. We're going to go with all in. All in. Um, Because whatever it is you're doing, and I've always said this about you from the time that we were just beginning to date to present, uh, whatever you're doing, you are diving (laughs) headlong into it, right? So when you were doing improv, it's not like you showed up at the theater once a week. You were there several times a week doing shows yourself, doing technical stuff for other shows, coaching people on other shows, teaching classes. Like you were, that's what you were doing. That was your thing. Um, When you decided you wanted to 
be a blogger. It was every single night, and you were not making any money off of it at the time, but you were blogging every single night because that's what you were going to do. And, yeah. and you know, despite the fact that your new husband at the time was like, oh my gosh, why are you spending so much time <laughs> on this blog that's going nowhere? You stuck with it, and you, when you decided you wanted to do essential oils, you spent months researching all the companies, figure out that Young Living's the best one, and that's what you dove headlong into. Yeah. When you decide you want to be a, a fair trade voice, <laughs> that's what you embrace and you don't mess around with it. So when you get involved with missions in Kenya, you're all in. So it's just everything you do, you're all in, whatever it is. I kind of see it as my job to be sure that the things that you're focused on, that I'm kind of keeping you pointed in the right direction, <laughs> because I know you're going to run as fast as you can on whatever <laughs> yeah. track you're on. Yeah. So I just kind of want to be sure that you stay on a good track, and I know that you're going to run really fast on whatever track that is. <laughs> well, that's a good answer. It kind of surprised me. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, all right. So we're going to transition to um, a different segment. This is, I was thinking back over 99 episodes. I've interviewed 99 different people who run 99 pretty different businesses. Some are you know, similar, but... Um, I wanted to kind of talk about common threads or themes among all of these business owners because, you know, I get comments, I get review questions, I get emails from people who are interested in starting a business or being a business owner or even like working for a business with purpose. You know, what does that mean really? Uh, so I thought I would just, this is not like a set number. And if you have any that like, as somebody who edits my shows, you listen to them. So if there's anything that you can think of that you want to throw in there. Um, but one of the first things I thought about was like, literally every single one of them started out scrappy in some way, shape or form is like, they were just like, yeah, I was selling stuff out of my trunk of my car in a sketchy parking lot or I was buying like, I mean, I think of Emily Sexton who started off as a you know, vice president, you know, for change management at a Swiss in, Swiss investment bank. And then she was, you know, found herself literally selling all her wares so that she could buy an old uniform delivery truck in a parking lot in Charlotte and look at where she is now. I mean, every single person started out really scrappy to just do whatever it took to do what they wanted to do. Well, and in a lot of those cases, too, even once they've achieved quote unquote success, it's still not as glamorous behind no. the scenes as a lot of people think it is. I mean, a lot of times it is a business owner keeping stuff in their garage yep. and doing a lot of the shipping themselves. Yep. I can't remember who it was, but there was somebody who, like their mom and their sister, basically handle all the warehouse kind of stuff. Yeah. Like they just have a big building on their property where they keep all their inventory, and she's essentially hired her mom and her sister to handle all that. So, you know, sometimes it looks glamorous on the outside, but I guess the old analogy is the the swan, right? It looks yeah. so graceful and everything on, on top of the water, but the feet are just pedaling away as fast as they can go under the water. And that's that's the case for a lot of people you've had on. Yeah. Bethany Tran from The Root Collective, she does a lot of things on Instagram stories where she'll use hashtag CEO glam. And she's literally like... Do it using the pull down stairs for her attic and going up to find inventory and ship it herself. And yep. she's just like, y'all think that this is super glamorous, but here I am climbing up my attic staircase to find inventory yep. to ship it. Um, all right. So then the the other thing is 
all of the quote unquote, like we were just saying, successful people, and this is something I have talked about a lot on the show, but I think it bears repeating, is that none of them gave up, is that when kind of that, you know, in the first one to three years of business, and I even think about this with blogging, I mean, I blogged for 11 years, I've been blogging for 11 years, I didn't make money till seven years in and even then when I was starting to make money and my new husband who I love so much was like what is this blog is a waste of your time yada 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 but I just I didn't give up you know and even when the blogging community got completely oversaturated and everybody was doing this and I just kind of stayed in my own lane and I didn't do what everybody else was doing and here I am and this is my full-time job so and even with podcasting, podcasting is so, so much harder than I thought it was going to be. And I didn't give up. And so here we are at 100 episodes, and I can't wait to see what the next 100 episodes look like. So I think that's that's just the key thing is that there's sort of that honeymoon phase of running a business where you're like, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm going to do what I want to do for a living for the rest of my life, and it's going to be great. And then you're three or six months in, and you realize it's way harder than you thought. And you just don't give up. Yep. Um, and then the other thing, too, is so many people have degrees in something completely different than what they're doing for a career or like they started out doing something and then ended up realizing their passion was something else. So like I think of Natalie Frank, who started the Rising Tide Society. She started out as a wedding photographer and she just realized that she actually while she loved wedding photography you know, as she got into it, she realized her passion was more in empowering other business owners and creative business owners. And she kind of liked more of that kind of back end thing, rather than necessarily the actual creative outlet. So I just think it's kind of interesting to see people's evolution over time. I mean, and then again, back to <laughs> Emily Sexton, she started out as a vice president for change management for a Swiss investment bank. And now she runs one of the most su successful ethical you know shops in the country and um her actual her her original dream which she shared about this on the show was she wanted to be a backup dancer for britney spears and got injured well in didn't college. we all <laughs> didn't we all at some point who among us has not wanted to be a backup dancer for britney spears i think you'd be a great backup dancer for britney spears that goes without saying so all right so those were sort of the common threads i've seen um, among these business owners is just find something that you really do care about and it, know that it's not going to be easy and look for kind of a hole in the market. Like with a lot of the ethical business owners, they see that, you know, there's maybe an area that they want to work in or maybe a developing nation that they want to work in or, you know, making access to affordable ethical clothing, like with the flourish market or, you know, um, I think of Adrian Rowland with Hearts Content Events. She's the wedding planner. You know, she saw that there are, I mean, thousands of wedding planners. And yet she really saw that there were not a lot of wedding planners who were focusing on the marriage and what, you know, the, the, what the wedding day actually means in the long term. And so uh, just kind of find that and, and go from there and don't give up. So that's your pep talk for the day. You have uh, the next thing here as questions for you. Yeah, correct. I'm wondering, should we do the top 10 episodes next? I feel like teasing the questions for you okay. is probably what most people are here for. Okay. Right? So let's right. let's do the episodes and come back to the questions. Okay, that sounds good. I'm pulling rank as executive producer. That sounds good. Uh, so looking back to the top 10 episodes, and this is uh, not a subjective top 10, but this correct. is based on... 
total number of downloads. Correct. Right? Correct. So this is our top 10 episodes. I looked back and I actually had to, I had switched hosting platforms halfway through at like right at episode 50. So I had to go back and do some math, which I'm not good at, but I verified it. And these are the top 10 episodes based on feedback and on total downloads. Okay. So let's go in reverse order. We'll count it down from 10 to 1. All right. Uh, starting with number 10 was Anna. Anna Patak. She is a victim, survivor of human trafficking. Good yeah. uh, good interview. I remember that one well. Yeah, yeah. She was awesome. She's actually, she's local here in the Raleigh-Durham area. She was here in the studio with me. That was episode 87. Yeah, just a really, I think she does a really good job of telling her story um, and how she has really overcome her background. But I think she also does a really great job of kind of breaking down the stereotypes of what human trafficking looks like. And she's amazing. She's hilarious. She's so funny. And she's just overcome so much. And I love her. So that was episode 87, Anna Patak, number 10. Number nine was Zane Willman from Ubuntu. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Ubuntu, Ubuntu made. made. Uh, what do you remember from that? That was a while ago. Yeah, it was episode 17. Yeah. And I still remember to this day Zane's episode being one of my favorites. And I, it was, I think it was just part of Zane is hilarious. He's like an Episcopal, I think he's an Episcopal priest or like he's like an ordained minister in addition to like being an ethical fair trade business owner. Um, he's just... He's one of those people that it does not matter what he's talking about. He's interesting and funny and their story. I mean, and I'm, I'm a little biased because they work in Kenya. And so I have a, a very much a, a Kenyan connection in that way. But that was a really great episode. Loved it. Number eight, I'm a little surprised, was not higher on the list from a total downloads perspective. But that was Laura Casey. Cultivate yeah. What Matters. Yeah. Episode 37. Laura's was one of my favorites. Um, my personal favorites. Um, you know, I don't want to say that I'm biased, but I'm a little biased. She is somebody I have just looked up to and admired forever. And I remember when I first started the show, I dreamed of having Laura on. And when I emailed her and asked her to be a guest on the show and she said yes, I remember just being like, ah, I was so excited. Um, but her episode really... I mean, we talk about everything from marriage to parenting to business to life. She's one of those people that she does a really good job of sharing the hard stuff in addition to being inspirational, but not in a fluffy way. She's inspirational in a way that like you walk away with anywhere from 10 to 150 tangible action steps for doing the next thing. And she's so good at setting up systems, which I know you love systems. Um, she's actually the one that created that uh, couple's goal guide that you and I have done together. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling you about it and being like, can you, will you sit down and do this with me? And you were kind of hesitant at first. And after, we're, after we did it, you were like, oh, that was awesome. So it was just, she's really good at creating systems for you to you know, set goals and really actually make them happen. To plan your life. Correct. All right. Uh, number seven was Bola. Bola Clever Sa- Girl Finance. Bola Sakunbi, Clever nope. Girl Finance. Yeah, she is amazing. She also has a podcast. That was episode 57. She has a podcast, and I was actually a guest on that one as well. Um, but Bola is the one who s- saved $100,000 in three years, making only $50,000 a year. And she is incredible. She gave up 
her addiction to uh, designer handbags. And we talked a lot about that and what that was like for her to break that addiction. And we talked about kind of the stigma of, you know, people talk about addictions all the time with drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff. But shopping and spending money is as much of an addiction as anything else. I mean, that was something that I struggled with when I was in college and why I ended up in so much debt. So um, we talk a lot about that. She just has um, a lot of really great resources. Kind of if we were talking about budgeting earlier, Bola has a ton of resources on her website. It was a great episode. Loved it. All right. Number six. And what we'll do, we'll split up the top 10. So we're going to do 10 down to six now. Then we'll do questions for you. We'll come back to episodes one through five. And then we'll end on questions for both of us. Love it. How about that? All right. So number six was Liz Bohannon, Seiko Designs. You have shoes from there, which are gold. Correct. Look at that. Drop in knowledge about your closet. I know. Yeah. That was episode 28. I'm actually wearing my Seiko crossover slides right now. Um, Liz is another- That's not the ones I was thinking about, though. But I have these in like five different colors, so it's fine. (laughs) Um, But yes, I do own them in gold as well. Correct. Um, But yeah, Liz, she, uh, so Seiko Designs was on Shark Tank, and they got no deal on Shark Tank. And I bet the sharks are- pretty much kicking themselves now. But Liz actually said that it was one of the best things that never happened to them, if that makes sense, like getting on Shark Tank and not getting the deal. And she thought that that was really what they needed to do. But when she realized in the end, it was not what they should be doing, but it gave them enough press <laughs> to kind of get to that next level. And um, and just the impact that they've made. Liz is also hilarious because she has zero filter and I just I know that if she lived on the East Coast, we would hang out all of the time. So there's that. Okay, so there's episodes six through ten. We will tackle one through five a little bit later. That was fun to recap some of those. But I would be remiss if we did not also recap the best sponsor of this podcast, and that would be Causebox. And I can say that uh, I have also been the recipient of a cause box. That is true. Cause box for dudes for Christmas. Just one box, but I still use the face wash from it to this day. It's almost out, so I'm going to have to figure out how to replenish. Yeah. But uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So as you know, Causebox has been a loyal supporter of the podcast for quite some time now. I have actually been a personal subscriber of Causebox for over two and a half years. I always like to tell people this. I buy my Causeboxes with my own money because I love them that much. So this is not just because they are a sponsor. They are a sponsor because I love them so much, if that even makes sense. So if you are unfamiliar with Causebox at this point, which I feel like if you are a lawyer listener of the show, you're like, Molly, we get it. But I, I just I feel like I have to say this because they really are that amazing. So every season they have a new box that comes out. It's filled with all kinds of goodies from, you know, fashion, accessories and jewelry, home goods, beauty. Uh, like John said, he got the cause box for men for Christmas. So they'll do special edition cause boxes like that. And they're always themed. But the best part about cause box is not just that the products are useful. But they are also doing incredible good all around the world here in the United States of America and abroad. And it is just truly my favorite subscription box. I feel like every single season they blow it out of the water. The Summer Cause box did sell out. I mean, it sold out in record time. But they have a special edition Cause box going on right now that includes the best products from the spring and summer Cause box. And they even were able to collaborate and do a, a special edition kimono so 
It's only available in that box. Now, they are super generous. And so if you use the coupon code MOLLY, that's M-O-L-L-Y, you get $15 off your first box. So you can go to stillbeingmolly.com forward slash causebox, C-A-U-S-E-B-O-X. Use that coupon code MOLLY, you get $15 off. Everything you said was mostly accurate with one exception that Uh I'd like to point out. Uh Uh-oh. You said you buy it with your own money. Uh, You buy your cause boxes with our money. With our money. money. You're right. I'd like you to work on your pronouns. With with our our money. Although it does come out of my cash. So (laughs) budgetary budgetary line item thing. So anyway. All right. Moving on. Let's move on to questions for you. Again, this is what the internet conjured up for you. Uh, we'll start with at Pieces of Passion, who says, how are you able to justify the price for ethical and healthier options for beauty and home goods? My husband isn't fully on board and potentially thinks it's unnecessary. So this is a question I get a lot. And I would say there is a huge misconception with shopping ethically is that you spend more when in sort of this quote unquote, fast fashion culture where everything is quick and cheap and easy, you actually tend to spend more because, you know, places like Old Navy and Forever 21 and H&M and stores like that will price their clothing so cheap for a reason that you buy more of it. So you're like, oh, but this shirt is only $6 or this pair of shoes is only $9 or this bag is only $11. And so you keep telling yourself in your head, this is only X amount of dollars. This is only X amount of dollars, but it's cheaply made. It's basically crap. And so you might wear it one time, two times, maybe three times, and it falls apart. And then you get rid of it. You throw it away or whatever. And then you just go out and buy more. Whereas like, Okay, so I'm not buying an $8 shirt from Old Navy, and I'm going to buy a $42 shirt from Elegantese, yet that shirt is going to last me much longer. I mean, think about how often I wear my Elegant T-shirts. Like, I wear the crap out of them, and they are well-made. They're high-quality materials. And so, over if you think about, like, the lifetime of the product, I'm buying less of the ethical items because they last longer and they're they're made better rather than like more of the cheap stuff that then, you know. So that's one way of thinking of it. So a lot of it is just a complete shift in mindset. But, I mean, you have to admit, like, this is something that has been more of a struggle for you, like kind of coming on board to my passion for buying ethically because you don't buy stuff ever for yourself. And so, like, over the years, you know, when you would buy new clothes, you would go to Old Navy and buy it and wear it you know, till it dies. But, you know, rather than like spending a little bit more, but buying less, if that makes sense. Well, it's, it's funny because when I was a kid, my dad taught me this concept very early on, except with tools. Right. Because he was always, you know, in his younger days, buying the cheapest tool. And then he would have to buy that tool three, four, five times because it would only last a couple of years and he'd have to get a new one. Well, yeah. he finally figured out that if he just spent the money on the good tool initially, it wouldn't break. And over the course of his life, he'd spend a lot less on tools. Right. And so I understood that concept in that realm from a very young age. Uh, I definitely did not translate that to clothes. Now, part of the problem is, yes, I would wear stuff well past the point of being worn yes, out. Correct. So it didn't matter 
that I was, I, I wasn't actually replacing it. I right. was wearing it, but you know, sometimes I look homeless. And so <laughs> to the extent that you want to avoid that, yeah, it does make sense to invest in clothes that are going to last. Like I think about shirts from Joseph A. Bank. Right. And you know, they look really nice. They feel nice. They seem like good quality. You know, you get the buy one, get 18 for free deal. (laughs) And it turns out to be, you know, one shirt might be 70 bucks, but when you get three or four free, you know, it comes out to not that much per shirt. Right. And so it seems like a pretty good deal. Well, of course, the fact that it's a $70 shirt is a complete charade. It's not a $70 shirt. It's a $15 shirt. And I can't tell you how many shirts, not just Joseph A. Bank, but places like that, uh, I can't tell you how many shirts I've had where I end up with holes in the elbow, yeah, and they just get they wear out and fall apart. Yeah. Whereas I think of some of the more ethically made things that you've bought me, and they really do last a long time. Yeah. So I was definitely a skeptic at first, but there's some truth to the fact that you do spend less over time if you get stuff that you're proud of, you like it, it is better quality. Yeah. You're just going to keep it around longer. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say if. If your husband isn't fully on board, you know, kind of talk in that realm. I mean, for me, at the end of the day, like it's a it's an issue of human rights. And that's like what I really go to. I'm a people first person. So I want to make sure that the people making my goods are treated fairly and paid fairly. So that's for me. But, you know, especially when we get into the talking about the price and the practicality of it, they really are just everything is just made better when it's made by hand and not made, you know, quickly and cheaply. So. Next question for you is from Insta Amy Harris, who wants to know, <laughs> what is your most embarrassing moment at a gym? I actually have a good uh, good story for this. Really? Maybe I'll tack on when you're um, done. So this is my little sister from my sorority who wanted to ask this question. And it is because it is a well-known story among my sorority sisters. She already knows this story. She knows this she story. Knows. She wants uh, me to share it. So <laughs> um, I don't even think you know this story. So my, I want to say it was my junior year of college. I, right around New Year's, I got into like a real big kick, like a health kick. Mm-hmm. And um, I was ready to start going to the gym regularly. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. I lied. I lied. I lied. It was not my junior year. It was my sophomore year. And it was my first semester sophomore year when I was single. So my freshman year of college, I was still dating my um, high school boyfriend. And my first semester sophomore year, there I was. I was single and I was large and in charge. Um, well, not actually like physically large, but you know what I mean. Metaphorically large. Metaphorically large. So the gym on our campus was like on the opposite side of from where my dorm was. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to really maximize my efforts by running to the gym. Sure. So I was going to run to the gym. Well, so <laughs> I'm running across campus and I'm like waving to people I know And then I get to the gym, and they had just installed new turnstiles. Mm -hmm. Now, I love you, but there was a boy that I had a crush on who I knew was going to the gym around that time. Mm -hmm. So I was going to hopefully impress this this male figure. And how'd that work out for you? Uh, So I'm running through the doors into the gym, and I see the new turnstiles. Now, I did not know at the time that you needed to use your key card to get through the turnstiles. I just thought that they 
went on their own. They were there for decoration. <laughs> Correct. I thought you could just walk through them. So here I am running full speed ahead. I hit the turnstile, did not use my key card, and literally flipped over the turnstile. So like head or feet overhead onto the other side of the turnstile. And I look up. And see that the guy that I had a crush on is literally standing right there watching all of this happen. And so in my flusteredness, I stand up, I walk out the turnstile, scan my key card, and then walk back through into the gym and into the locker room and proceed to uh, be incredibly embarrassed. But, I mean, this was like peak time at the gym. Many, many people saw this, and it was spoken about for weeks, and it made the story made its way through the fraternity of the guy that I had a crush on and all of my sorority sisters, and everybody was like, hey, I heard you uh, flipped over the new turnstiles in Ferguson, or not Ferguson, uh, the Freeman Center. I was like, yep, yep, sure did. So it was great. No, you haven't told me that story, but nothing about it is surprising. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm certain that that's not a made-up story. It's not. Uh, I don't think I've ever told you this story. This is not an embarrassing gym story. It's Uh-oh. more of an awkward gym story. Ooh, awkward gym. Um, as you know, even at my advanced age of 34 now, mm-hmm. I have a difficult time not looking at myself in a mirror if there's a mirror anywhere <laughs> in the vicinity. Correct. Well, you can only imagine, uh, let's say, 12 years ago at 22 how bad that syndrome <laughs> oh, was. Oh, I bet it was bad. And so... At the gym I used to go to, I was in the shower, and it was one of those like group showers. You just got like six naked dudes all in there <laughs> together. Um, but then over here is like the sinks and the mirror. So I was in the shower, and I couldn't quite see myself in the mirror from the shower, so I kind of had to lean back a little bit to catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror. Well, <laughs> there was another guy currently at the sink who'd just gotten out of the shower, and apparently he assumed that I was leaning back to take a look at him having just gotten out of the shower. Oh, no. Well, it turns out he was into this. Oh, no. And so he kind of caught my eye, and it became very apparent that he was wanting to hang around and talk. So he's getting ready in the locker room, and I'm getting ready. <laughs> and I took as long as possible. I was like, I'm just going to let him leave, get completely off the premises before I get out, because I don't want him to try to engage me in conversation when I leave the locker room, right? So I'm getting ready as slowly as possible. I think I was actually late to work that day. Because it took me so long to get ready. I was deliberately buttoning each button on my shirt as slow as I could. Just let, so finally he leaves. He's gone. I was like, thank goodness. Crisis averted. Not going to get hit on today. And so oh, I, I go no. outside. It's pouring down rain. I go outside. And as soon as I walk outside, he's standing like under the, the overhang, the tiny little 12-inch overhang, the only place where he could stay dry. He's waiting outside for me. And he's like, he walks up as soon as I come out the door. He's like, hey, pretty rainy weather we're having today. Well, I immediately went from like trying to avoid this situation to incredibly offended that I'm like, look, dude, you're trying to get me to change sexualities and the best you can come at me with is the weather. (laughs) You're going to have to come a little stronger than that. I didn't say that, but this was my thought. So I like, you know, made small talk with him as I walked as quickly as I could to my truck and got out of there. Well... Oh, uh, my goodness. The next three or four times when I'd go to the gym when he was there, he would always make a beeline to wherever I was. Well, so one day I'm sitting in the – I go in to sit in the steam room. So there's the steam room and there's the sauna, two different places. And he happens to be in the pool. So I go sit in the steam room. Well, he catches me – he sees me out of the corner of his eye walking in the steam room. Well, he's immediately done swimming and heading straight into the <laughs> steam room, right? And talking to me about you know, my workout. Oh, you really look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up. So <laughs> – 
goodness. Then I see there was this lady who I talked to all the time. She was probably in her early to mid-50s. She was Lebanese. She was from Lebanon, Beirut. And um, so we had a pretty good relationship. I, I talked to her a couple times a week in the sauna. Well, I see her walking in the sauna. And um, so I was like, oh, excuse me. Uh, her, her name actually was her, which is <laughs> weird for a girl to be named her. I was like, yeah. oh, her is here. Uh, sorry, I, I'm trying to get with that. So I <laughs> went, over, went over the sauna. Oh and so I went in there. I told her, I was like, look. Uh, if this dude comes in here, like act like we're flirting or something, because <laughs> I'm trying to get with this mid fifties Lebanese woman. Uh, she thought it was hilarious, but never heard from him again after that. That was how I made it clear that I was not hitting from that side of the plate. Oh my goodness, I am embarrassed for you. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Uh, next question. All right. This is uh, at M E K Danner. Who says, if you could travel anywhere, where would you go and why? Oh, man. I, you know me. I love to travel. But for sure, I would say number one bucket list currently would be like a uh, Bora Bora Tahiti type deal. Like over water bungalows. We're talking all, all that jazz. That mm-hmm. would be for sure where I would want to go. Yep. And uh, that's definitely been made clear to me. So we'll... <laughs> We'll make that happen eventually. <laughs> one day. One day in our retirement. One of these times. Um, all right. How about Jay Tucker 27 who says, how did you first get interested in ethical companies? I never even thought about it until reading your posts. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So my first introduction into the ethical fair trade world was on my first trip to Kenya in 2011 and like really understanding the impact of it. And we had toured this factory in Nairobi called the Kazuri Bead Factory. And um, Kazuri is, uh, there's these handmade clay beads that are uh, hand molded. And then they are fired on a, like a, you know, in like a, in, I don't know what they call it. Um, they're fire made to made, to be made solid, put through fire. And then they're hand painted. Um, Very eloquently stated. It really was. Sorry about that. So... The thing about it is, though, is that they hire women who are sort of outcasts in the community, whether they are single moms, whether they're widowed, whether they are um, uneducated, anything like that. Um, They're allowed to bring their kids to work. But, you know, um, some of them have special needs. Um, These are women who are really put at a disadvantage in an already challenging culture and they hire them they give them sustainable employment and so this was really the first time that I'd ever seen what an opportunity like stable economic employment comes you know what it looks like and how it can impact a family and a community and all that kind of stuff and then I just got interested in it from there and then the more that I learned about it the more I realized that if that it is legitimately the way to change the world is by giving women jobs I don't know that it had ever occurred to me that Kazuri was what kicked all this off, but that makes a lot of sense in retrospect. For sure. All right, very good. How about at Dash of Ash blog, who says, who's your favorite comedian? This is a tough one, but I'm going to go, okay, so we'll go stand-up right now. I've loved a lot of stand-up comedians over the years. Currently, I love me some John Crist. That guy Mm -hmm. is hilarious. Um, He's at John B. Crist. He is funny. He would also be your favorite Instagram story comedian. Correct. <laughs> Correct. His Instagram stories are hilarious. Um, also, Angela Johnson. I 
I freaking love her. She's so funny. She is the one that if you if you're like Angela Johnson, Angela Johnson, she is the one who does the nail salon bit. Like, oh, so pretty, like model mm-hmm. Gialita. Um, Which we quote at least nine times a week at in least our house. Nine times, yeah, all the time. So I love Angela Johnson. She's hilarious. Um, I've also seen every stand-up set from Jim Gaffigan. I've seen him live twice. I love that guy. So that would probably be my answer for stand-up. For improvisation, I mentioned this on my episode, like, what, two, three episodes ago with Travis Thomas. Uh, improvised Shakespeare, by far the best improv group in the world. And if you ever have a chance to see them, go see them. At A. Ray Hansen says, if you could have a conversation with your 2008 self, what would you tell her? Oh, dear Lord. That would be a long chat. That would be a long chat um, because I think my 2008 self, if I were to tell her what my 2018 self is currently doing, my 2008 self would have a heart attack. Um, but I, I think in a good way, I just think she would not think that it was, it would, she would believe it. Um, I think the biggest thing would just be to not walk the, because 2008 is when I started be trying to become debt free. And I tried to walk that road and journey alone for many years before you came along. Um, And it was, I think I could have done it a lot sooner had I reached out and asked for help. So that's, I think, the biggest thing is I think my transformation maybe would have happened a little bit quicker had I not tried to do it on my own. But it's it's what I did at the time. So there's that. Uh, we could probably have an entire episode on what you would tell your 2008 oh, self. for sure. Well, maybe for episode 200. Yeah, we'll do that. yeah. We'll do 150. That. 150. The sesquicentennial. 150. We'll do that. Yeah. Um, at Covet by Trisha says, what's your favorite and least favorite thing about sharing your life through Instagram or blogging? My favorite thing for sure, 1000%, and this is going to sound really cheesy and cliche, but it is the community. Um, I mean, I really do. I mean, I have some people who have been reading my blog from the beginning. So they have seen, I mean, I started my blog in 2007. So they've really seen me over the last 11 years transform. And they've seen me in the downtimes and the uptimes, and yet they still are there reading my blog and sending me encouraging messages. And um, I mean, and then here we have in the last six months, as you know, we've lost two babies and the community of people that have sent us flowers. I mean, people that we do not know, complete strangers from the internet who have sent us flowers, gifts, um, notes, books, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's it's unbelievable to me. So that I'm really thankful for. And then I'm also just thankful for the other bloggers and people like that along the way that I've met. Um, It's been great. Um, My least favorite thing is also similarly (laughs) um, having to share the really hard stuff. And I think people sometimes maybe think it's easier than it is, but it is incredibly difficult. But um, I think it comes with the territory in some ways that you have to share both the good things and the bad things. Um, There are certainly a lot of things that I do not share and I keep private um, for our family's sake and for my sake. And But I think, you know, it's just... When you're putting yourself out there, you open yourself up to criticism and internet trolls and things like that. And so that would be my least favorite thing. All right. Last one for you. And then we'll do episodes one through five. Okay. Uh, this is at Cocaf. What is that? It looks like Cofefe. I was going to say. <laughs> Cofefe Boutique. Cocafe Boutique. I don't know. Uh, what is your favorite clothing brand? Um, for shirts and dresses, Elegantes, for sure. For denim, that would be Fashion Able or Able clothing and page denim for shoes 
The Root Collective, obviously. And earrings, none other than nickel and suede. What about intimate menswear? <laughs> What's your favorite brand? Packed. Packed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well. I like those boxer briefs. Good point. All right. Rawr, rawr. Uh, back to our countdown All right. for the top 10 episodes. So we'll start with number five. And again, this is by total number of downloads. Correct. Episode number five, Caitlin James. Episode 16. Oh my goodness, I love Caitlin. Caitlin is, um, we went to college together. She was our wedding photographer, um, but she's an amazing, just an amazing internationally recognized wedding photographer, teacher, speaker, educator. She's awesome. And I even remember when you edited that episode, I'm, you were editing it here at the office. I was at home and you texted me and you were like, man, Caitlin's awesome. So I think when you when you notice halfway through the episode that an episode's awesome, like mm-hmm. I can always tell that it's going to be a really good one. Yep. Uh, episode number four, I know one of your personal favorites, yep. Kristen Welch and Maureen Kaderi. Yep. That was episode nine. And that was back when I, well, this was early because it was episode nine. We split it into a part one and two. So each episode's 30, 30 minutes. But um, that is uh, from Mercy House, Fair Trade Friday. Um, Maureen Kaderi is what she's probably the person that I admire the most in the world. She's incredible. She was a compassion child who grew up and has just impacted um, women in Kenya. I mean, yeah. Her legacy is going to live on for many, 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 many years. And that episode is incredible. All the way back to episode number two, two. for our third ranked yep. podcast would be Emily Sexton. Of course, the Flourish Market. Again, as we've referenced, she came back for the holiday gift guide episode. Yeah, that was a fun. By popular demand. By I popular guess. demand, Emily came back for the holiday gift guide. And I can't wait till we do another holiday gift guide episode together this year because, uh, yeah, well, Emily's one of my dearest friends in the world. Um, she's hilarious. She is smart. She's business savvy. She is just, she is one of those people that like, she will simultaneously make you laugh and cry all at the same time. Um, that it would be what simultaneously means. So anyway, that was a bit redundant, but, um, yeah, she's incredible. So episode two, Emily Sexton. But that was number three on our countdown. Correct. Number two on our countdown, episode 20, which was Jessica Honiger. Of Noonday Collection. Yep. That was another goal interview for me. And Jessica has, she's just become a friend over the years. And I've loved watching Noonday from the beginning to now. Um, Jessica has her own podcast now called the Going Scared Podcast. It's incredible if you have not listened to it. She's got a book coming out this month, actually, in August. And I got an advanced reader copy. It's called... Um, yeah, I was Im- going to say, you already have that book. How's yeah. it coming out this month? It I comes forgot out. your special. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but I got an advanced reader copy and I I'm halfway through it, and it's it's amazing. Um, it's called Imperfect Courage. It comes out, I want to say, the 21st of August. But, yeah, she's, she's amazing. That was episode 20, but the number two on our list, and number one on our list. Devin and Morgan Klein, Burn Boot Camp. Yeah. Uh, another thing, back to my answer earlier about you being all in. <laughs> Once you decided you were going to work out at Burn Boot Camp, all you're in. all in. All in. That was episode 71 um, back in, I want to say January, and that was a really fun one. Um, Devin and Morgan are incredible. Devin also has a podcast called The Devin Klein Show. I was a guest on that. They're awesome. They're awesome. So that was our top 10 episodes, guys. There you go. Pretty good uh, representation of a lot of different types of businesses there, too. I agree. Too, so I, agree. Cool. I like the diversity. Um, all right. So we have questions for both of us to yeah. wrap up the show. Yeah. We'll alternate. I guess that who uh, who asks these? So we'll start with at Julie A. Ponty. 
I guess, who says, how do you balance sharing the personal details of your life with maintaining the amount of privacy that feels right to you? Do you always see eye to eye on this? I don't know if we've ever really talked about yeah. this. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, we. I don't think we have ever like really talked about it. I mean, as far as I know for the kids, I do, I made a rule from the beginning that I will never share anything about their lives that they would ever be embarrassed to know is on the internet. So like I have never shared anything about potty training. I've never shared anything about like their poops or things like that. Like I don't want them to ever be 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 and see something that mom posted about them on the internet and then them be embarrassed. You know, our kids are living in a culture where like when they grow up, they already have an entire internet resume that our generation didn't have that's on the internet and so i don't want to post anything ever that they would be embarrassed or ashamed of so i also appreciate you leaving my poops off of social media (laughs) that's appreciated yeah you're welcome you're Uh, welcome to the point of do you always see eye to eye on this i couldn't stand it initially how public everything about my life was not that you're sharing intimate details necessarily but um i couldn't stand my picture being made at every (laughs) place that we went um I've always been in the opinion that there's nobody out there who really cares my opinion on anything. <laughs> um, and so I got a little tired initially of just how public everything felt, but I guess it doesn't really phase me anymore. I don't really think about it. Yeah. So. I mean, and I think too, I mean, I've always kind of taken the approach like with stuff with you, cause I know that you don't like to get your picture made. So I only really do it when it's like an important milestone or something like that. And even then I'm a little bit less or I'm a little bit more hesitant to post it, if that makes sense. Um, And I really try to make sure that if I'm sharing something that kind of involves the two of us, I'm sharing it from my perspective and I don't like try to input your opinion or like anything like that, that is not from you directly. Does that make sense? Well, and also because you'd probably lose a lot of followers if you put my opinion on a lot (laughs) of things. No, but you know what I mean. So, Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, and I mean, even as we've, you know, here in the, like I said earlier, in the last couple of months, as we have had, you know, we've lost two babies. And so we've had to, you know, we've shared that. um, But there's still a lot of it that we have kept very private. So, you know, I think it's just kind of, yeah, it's a difficult balance for sure. Yeah. Uh, several people have asked this question. How yeah. did you two meet? Yeah, I'd like for you to answer Where this one. Where do we begin? Um, so I was working at a radio station in Chapel Hill. One day, our front desk person left. We needed to hire a new front desk person. I had known of you. I'd met you a couple of times because you were coming in doing comedy bits on the morning show. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really know you, but... I actually remember when we were talking about who we were going to hire. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that Molly girl would probably be pretty good just based on my couple of conversations <laughs> with you. So uh, you showed up. And I actually remember the first day that you came into work. I guess you came in early enough in the morning. I was the only person at the office, really, at that point. And you walked in, or maybe everybody else was in the meeting. I don't remember. Anyway, you came in. I said, all right, you're here. You ready to work? And you're like, yeah, let's do this. And that was like our first interaction yeah. as, uh, as co-workers. But um, I, it probably wasn't too long before my charms and my just 
general sveltness uh, <laughs> wore you down. That is you, correct. You probably want to talk about how that evolved. Well, so again, we worked together for a few months, and I honestly really thought you hated me at first. Because, Most people assume that. Yeah. So because if you don't know John, sometimes you can not understand that he is his sarcasm is his second language for sure and if you don't speak sarcasm well or like and here here even now we've been together eight years and i still can't really read you half the time i'm like are you actually mad or being sarcastic i don't know um so i can't i can't ever tell um and so i thought you hated me and then i remember when i took over your job like you moved back over into sales i wasn't like replacing you but you moved back over into sales and i was taking over the marketing job because i was moving from just being like a front desk person into the marketing role and you were supposed to train me and you that was literally the last thing you wanted to do and so you just like handed me a stack of papers and you were like figure it out you'll you'll figure this out (laughs) yeah so i really thought you hated me then i remember we were tasked with going to interview Butch Davis, who was then the coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels, and we wrote we rode together in your Jeep Cherokee. So this is even before you got your truck. Mm-hmm. And I that was the first time that I ever kind of got you one on one in a situation like like that. That I was like, oh, he's really funny. And so we had fun doing that. And then the the real kicker was we had a remote. So in the radio world, if you do a remote broadcast, you're doing a radio show from... On location. On location. So we were doing this remote broadcast from Summer Wind Pools and Spas mm-hmm. in Carborough, North Carolina. And all week, John Stillman had been saying that he was going to broadcast live from a hot tub. And none of us thought that he was actually going to do it. And so he shows up in his work clothes and flippy floppies (laughs) with a towel around his neck and he's like all right i'm ready to do this so here we are doing a live broadcast and he takes off his work shirt and his work pants and his flippy floppies and he is in his swim trunks and i remember me and two of the other female co-workers were like i did not know that that was underneath those work clothes all this time so ladies my husband's got a six pack and but i was i just remember just like staring really awkwardly and being like i suddenly am attracted to my coworker and it was all part of my master plan <laughs> To win you over. Went along this timeline with the copy machine incident. Uh, well, so then, so this is, so this was May when the summer wind bulls and spas thing was. Then it was like the second week of June and hit, John's desk was right next to the copy machine. And my desk was like, we were basically Jim and Pam, like sitting across the room from each other. So I'm at the front desk doing marketing stuff. John's over by the copy machine. So I get up because I was doing, printing a bunch of copies for a quiz bowl we were doing that mm. evening. And I'm standing there at the copy machine (laughs) copying things. And John kind of looks up at me and I look down at him and I was like, what are you staring at? And I kid you not, folks. He said, I'm trying to figure out how you've worked here this long and we haven't made out yet. And I was like, uh, what? And like, I remember I I mean, I was really awkward, folks. My dating years were incredibly awkward. I have so many stories I could tell. And my answer, no joke, was, you're crazy, burp-a-doo, and, like, literally walked out of the front office into another room. My copies still needed to be done, and I just, like, abandoned them, and I had no idea how to take this. 
comment from my coworker who had asked, I like didn't know whether to be like offended. I mean, in this day and age, I would have yeah, called it harassment. I would probably be arrested. <laughs> I know. But I just was like, wait, does he like me? So then I was talking to our coworker, Anthony, in the production studio. And I was like, this is what just happened. What do I say? Like, I don't know. And Anthony's like, he was just like, oh, man, all right. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I shared this information with Anthony. But I then interpreted this as that John had a crush on me, that this was his way. He, I remember telling you this later, and you were just like, oh, I don't know. That's just like something I say. I just, I just said things like that at that <laughs> stage in my life. Not that big a deal. You way overthought it, but it worked out. Yeah. And then, um, then like a couple weeks later, I had an, so I had an intern at the time and I told her about it and she's like, well, you got to figure out a way to hang out with them outside of work. And I remember on the radio on the way into work that day, they had said that, that that day only you could get $10 lawn seat tickets for Toby Keith concert that next Saturday. And I knew that you liked country music and I enjoy country music. And so I was just like, Hey, uh, John, you, you know, that, uh, Toby Keith lawn tickets right now are $10 and you were like, Oh, really sweet. So then like an hour later, I hear that you are like texting all of your friends to go to Toby Keith. And so I'm like, well, this is backfiring on me. So I was like, well, if you need anybody to go with you, if your friends can't go and you were like, oh, you want to go? I'm like, yes, that's why I mentioned it. And so that following Saturday, it was me and John Stillman and seven of his dude friends at Toby Keith. But you kissed me that evening and the rest is history. Well, we still celebrate Toby Day Toby to day. this day, eight years later. Yep. So yep. there you go. That's how we met. Yep. I, but it did take you four months to admit I was your girlfriend. Well, that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> um, on a sort of related note, we have, if our love story was a lifetime movie, what would happen and who would play us? Well, I think you pretty well laid out the, the plot. The plot. But who uh, would play us? Would play well, us. somebody asked this, my friend Lindsay asked this question the other day, and you said, who, who said, did you uh, Denzel. Or the bald guy from Princess Bride. Yeah, both of those would be excellent. <laughs> excellent. Um, I'm thinking Tina Fey would be a great. Yeah. <laughs> but she'd have to like go back to looking like, I mean, she looks great at her age, but she'd have to, you know, look yeah. 24. Yeah, so. so she'd be a good choice. Who would play you, though? <laughs> I see what you just did yeah. there. I see what you did there. No, I think Tina Fey would be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. So would Amy Poehler. Yeah, um, any of those. If you were looking for a more serious role, Rachel McAdams would play yeah. you. Ooh, Rachel McAdams. Yeah, she'd be great. Uh, but yeah, Tina's probably the ideal choice. I'm not sure who would play me. I mean, you mentioned Jim and Pam. Probably could be John Krasinski. Yeah. It really yeah. could be. Yeah, he's great. So, all right. Uh, at one happy mama 6 says, are you guys 100% debt free? Well, yes, except the mortgage. Except the mortgage. So yeah. you still had a little bit of debt left when we got married. We got paid, back from the honeymoon and paid that off. Paid that off because I was going to have no patience for any of that. I mean, no, I don't want to make it sound like you brought a lot of debt into the marriage. I think you'd started at like thirty thousand dollars, thirty six thousand yeah. dollars, and, I and think then you like, paid it down to a couple thousand by the time we got married. Yeah, I think so it was, was like just under two thousand or something. Yeah, so not much left. And then you know we've stayed debt free. Well, we did finance a, a van for like three weeks. Three weeks. Um, because you needed the van for something coming up. And um, we hadn't gotten our tax refund yet. We knew we were getting a huge tax refund. Yeah. And so we knew we were going to get like $14,000 in two weeks, but we wanted to go ahead and get the van. Didn't quite have enough cash to pay for all of it, so we financed it for two weeks till we got the tax refund and then paid it off. Yep. So, so we are we are debt-free. Um, and you've always been debt-free because you're smart. 
So. Well, all those clothes that I bought from Old Navy for That's $8 true. and then wore for That's, 20 years. That is true. That is true. Um, all right. Bree Way um, says, what is your favorite free date night or day date? This is something we actually do a lot because babysitters are expensive um, and it can be difficult to get out. So we try to do this even as much as once a week. We will do an at-home date night. And sometimes I plan it. Sometimes he plans it. Sometimes we just keep it really simple. Well, where, sometimes there's no planning. It's yeah. just eat dinner, but after the kids are in bed. Yeah, and we'll make dinner together. So, like, we, um, he got me a sushi kit for Valentine's Day. And so we learned how to make sushi. So that was something we did after the kids to go to bed. Or, like, we'll make. And when you say we learned how to make sushi, you learned how to make sushi, and I grab your butt while you're making <laughs> sushi. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, yeah, we'll. We'll do stuff like that, like just make dinner after the kids go to bed. But light a candle, make the the lights dim in your kitchen, you know, pour yourself your favorite beverage, and then just hang out. Or like sometimes we'll um, look up like questions to ask each other or we'll play a game or, you know, just sit and watch something on Netflix, you know, just do something together after the kids are in bed, you know, just the two of you, so... Yep. And th- those are some of my favorite nights. We'll occasionally challenge each other with uh, sporkle quizzes. Oh, yeah. Sporkle quizzes are fun. Yeah. So who can name the most African countries? Or yeah. Stuff like that. that. Yeah. We'll do geographical or pre- if we do presidential, I always lose because oh, he loves loves presidential history. So. All right. Last question for both of us. What were your first impressions of each other? My first impression of you was I was scared of you. So um, that's, yeah, that's it. I was just, you were really quiet and you had the really deep voice. And I knew you were like the only Republican in the office at a liberal radio station. So mm-hmm. my first impression of you was I thought you were Jewish. <laughs> that is true. And I remember when I found that out, because I don't think I found that out until after we got married. And I was like, you thought I was Jewish? You were yeah. like, well, yeah, that's what I thought. I thought you were Jewish. Yeah. Well, because you were dating a Jewish guy, so I assumed you were Jewish. But see, here's the thing is, at the time, it, yeah, the guy I was dating, he was not Jewish either. Right, but I thought he was Jewish. <laughs> so because I thought he was Jewish, I assumed you were Jewish. Yeah, so, but that's, yeah. <laughs> there, so that there, was... There we have it, folks. There was a time where I, if you'd ask me to name everything I could tell you about Molly Buckley, I would have said, well, she does DSI Witness News, and uh, she's Jewish. That was all I could have... <laughs> stated about you yeah so and only would have been half right yeah so so there you have it folks all right so this is the last part of the show i'm taking over just for a second here is we have each planned a question for each other that is a secret question and that is as in we don't know the question that the other person is going to ask so we have not had time to prepare this answer okay so should I ask you yours first. first? I guess I'll go first. Sure. All right. So since we're watching Parks and Rec right now, I thought this would be timely. Okay. So what does treat yourself look like for you? So if you had a treat yourself day, mm-hmm. what would it look like? Uh, I'm assuming money is not an issue. No, it's treat, yo- treat yourself. Do whatever I want. All I right. I mean, does treat yourself matter to Donna? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to head back over to Hillsboro. Mm. And I'm going to go to the Home Depot there. Mm. Uh, so when we lived in Hillsborough, Home Depot was not even a half mile from the house. Correct. When I first bought the house, I was at Home Depot, no joke, three times a day. Yeah. Because I was redoing a bathroom, the flooring, the walls, the sink, everything. And so when you're that close to Home Depot, you don't plan your trips. You, you say, oh, I need this. So you run, get it, and come yeah. back. And you say, oh, I should have gotten this. You have three times a day, no joke, for the you, first month and a half. You love Home Depot. Um, so... 
I do miss going to that Home Depot. We have a Lowe's that's closer to our house now, which is still very close to the house, yeah. conveniently enough. But I do like Home Depot better than Lowe's. So I would just go meander around at Home Depot, um, get some things that would inspire me to work on some project <laughs> around the house, um, load up the truck, and come back and work on whatever project that might be. Theoretically, you know, kids don't need to be entertained. I no. can just work on whatever it is. Just treat all day. yourself day. Yeah. Yeah, that it would just involve that. What meal would you eat on Treat Yourself Day? Well, I'd probably go to Golden Corral for dinner. Um, <laughs> I would probably have a big breakfast, skip lunch, buffet of some kind for dinner. Look at that, guys. That, May, maybe Chinese buffet. The last couple times, I mean, Golden Corral was my favorite restaurant for two decades. That last couple times I've been, though, have been a little disappointing. So yeah. I don't know if it's just the one near our house or if you know, corporate-wide, it's all going downhill. I don't know. Yeah. I've, man, that's my husband, ladies and gentlemen, and I love him. He's Hands off, girls. He's the best. He's the best. All right. Taking. What's your surprise question for me? Um, which body part of mine most get, <laughs> no, that's not the real, that's not the real question. Um, your question, the year is 2023. Mm. Okay. Four years past the American Second Civil War, two years past the coronation of Queen Ivanka. Okay, that's the the world that we're living in. Oh my goodness, this um, is terrifying. None of that actually matters. Uh, at some point in the future, you're only allowed to have one outlet by which you communicate with the world. Mm. You can have your podcast, you can have your blog, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can only have one. You can't have your blog and a social network. You can only have one way to you know, essentially broadcast to the outside world, what is that one thing? Now, here's a caveat follow-up question. Because my gut answer would say my blog, Okay. first and foremost. It's been my bread and butter from day one. I can do so much with it. I own it. Nobody can take it away from me okay. unless, you know, I suddenly can't pay my hosting fees. Um, now, my blog has capability for, like, video and audio within a post, so could I include video and audio within a blog post? Hmm. Throwing a monkey wrench in here. I don't know why not. Okay. Then I would say blog for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, my podcast as it exists would not, ex- would not probably, it would not be there because it wouldn't be on iTunes. You can consume it that way. But like, I would probably have audio and video content as a part of my blog. It's probably cheating a little bit, but yeah. I probably didn't put enough thought into the question <laughs> to limit you. So, no. but I would say, yeah, Fair I would. Enough. I always say this all all the time. Is just like if social media were to go away tomorrow, sure, maybe I'd be a little sad. But in general, like my blog is what I care about, and that's been my bread and butter. It's where I make most of my money, and it's what I own. Mm-hmm. So, that's Very my, good. That's my answer. All right. Yeah. Anything else? Did we cover it all? We covered it all. I have some real work to do, so I should probably go. I know. But this was fun. It's been I'm glad, real. I'm glad we did this together. Yeah. So can I come back for the 200th? Yeah. Or 150th? Yeah. Definitely. For sure. Like, I, I really, I need to create some kind of business so that I can be a legit guest well, but you on your, you own a business. Well, but not really with purpose for your, <laughs> for your purposes. Sure you do. My sure purpose do. is to make a profit. <laughs> so, all right. <gasps> Thanks for listening, everybody. See you at the house.